Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live. You can't help but have noticed that a titanic battle is being waged at the moment for the fate of the universe. The universe in question is the broadcasting one. And the mortal foes are Amazon, Netflix, HBO, and the other leviathans of the entertainment industry. Their weapon of choice? Fantasy. Amazon have splurged upwards of half a billion dollars on their new weekly Lord of the Rings series, HBO. They're hoping to repeat the towering success of Game of Thrones with its prequel, House of the Dragon. Netflix are going for the elven market with The Witcher Blood Origin. Disney are resurrecting Willow for a new series. It goes on and on. Fantasy is big business today, which means that fantasy publishing, in all its many guises, is also hot. But what actually is fantasy in any case? Well, it's really just another way of saying what wonderful things we can imagine. And that's where you come in, because you are the wonderful people without whom fantasy wouldn't even exist. We've got two hugely popular guests here today, ghostwriter, mentor, and tutor of the Guardian's advanced writing masterclass. It's the elven-like Ros Morris! <laughs> Together with a very distinguished journalist who has worked in four war zones, was once jailed on suspicion of being a runaway slave, and he's been working to rescue Afghan journalists. It's the near legendary Maz Schofield. Well, today it's going to be an epic show. The genius room is coruscating with effulgence, so let's get on the show. Here we are. Blurb number one today comes from Sindel K. Do you like that name? I like it. I think it's pretty cool. I wonder if it's a real name. Dark fantasy slash sci-fi, that's the genre. The, the title is The Fireworld Testaments. Red Deceit. And this is Sindel's blurb. Padra has the flame of death inside her. She can take away pain. She can take away life. The flame can take her. The victors of the Gate War exile Padra's people to internment camps, but when they discover her abilities, they take her to a powerful city-state. Padra feigns cooperation while promising the lowest of the city she will liberate them. Her plan? To use them as a dispensable army to free her people. But she didn't expect to like them, and her flame is consuming her. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, let me tell you about Sindel K. <laughs> Graduating from the University of Central Florida in 2014 with a BA in English, Sindel spent 4.5 years teaching English. That's very, very precise, 4.5 years. First in Beijing, China, and then in Florida, U.S., once they grew tired of reading emails that shouldn't have been reply all, oh, I think I know where this is going, and the subsequent reply all emails condemning the initial offender, mm, Sindel returned to UFC to study computer science and technical writing. Now, Sindel codes neat stuff by day and writes weird stuff by night. Uh, Sindel lives with their cool kid, not a goat. 
So that's not Norfolk then, because that is normal for Norfolk. Uh, a, bit, a middle-aged cat who's also an aspiring writer. I need to know more about that. And a senior dog. Okay. All very interesting and good. And even more interesting and even gooder is this reading from Hannah. The Fire World Testaments Red Deceit by Sindel Read by Hannah Part 1 From a Thousand Silences Songs of the Lost Hush now, little one Peace now, little one Desert sand buries babe's body Alone Approach your mother's Approach your fathers. Join them at the foot of Nadrail's throne. Part 1 Once, Pedro watched a child die in the Saral Desert. It was morning. Seria, the greater star, had just broken free of the horizon, flooding the frigid peaks of sand with warmth and light. No one noticed the girl scampering along the top of a dune. And if they did, what would they have done? It was perfectly normal for the smaller children to find joy in a ripple of sand here and there, or a particularly crisp ridge at the top of a dune. Certainly, if the child was keeping up with the rest of the Vitkin as they marched to the mines, no one would say anything. Pedro didn't. The birth mother was too busy keeping the seven-month-old strapped to her chest content. He'd made a game of breaking out of the cloth tucked around him and pulling the bottom fold of her makeshift riptal away from her mouth and nose, squealing whenever she smiled at him before pushing the cloth back. When the girl slipped and fell down the other side of the dune, no one hurried to help her climb back up. Her screams, though, stopped the march. Pedro ran up the dune because she saw the girl slip and knew she must be on the other side. Others followed. Before she reached the top, Pedro didn't want to see the girl or the cause of her suffering. Seeing would make it real, make it even more tangible and horrible. If the child's screams would just stop, then Pedro knew she'd be all right. Just been scared. She'd just been reprimanded. And now the stingers would retreat and the Vitkin could keep moving. But Pedro's arms and neck and feet burned. The girl was not all right. The cries intensified, rising to a terrifying crescendo. Screams of, shattered the desert silence. At the top, Petra looked down at what she'd imagined a hundred times during the ascent. The girl's body trashed in sand, carving tiny canyons in the side of the dune. The whole of the stinger nest was buried now, but Petra could still see where the sand dipped toward it. There were 13 perhaps 14 stingers on the girl's arms and neck and torso. Plates raised to enhance their size, they clung to her, the two whips of their tails slashing back and forth, 
punishing her for disturbing their nest. On her neck and around her wrists, the skin bulged in long red ridges. Yurik acted first, striding and skidding down the dune. Two keepers had also arrived, the morning light reflecting off their metal flesh so sharply they were difficult to look at. They dismounted their skimmercrafts. Pedro slid down and another Vitka, Ren, followed her. Pedro hesitated by the girl, whose wailing had receded to pleading whimpers at the approach of adults. Pedro bore the brunt of the pain now. The girl must only feel mild discomfort. Pedro counted each time she inhaled, trying to focus on keeping the girl alive instead of the pain from the welts and poison assaulting her own senses. To pull a stinger off when it was securely attached would tear the child's skin and further the possibility of infection on top of the lashes from the tails. If she could force her hand under a stinger's body and press the soft flesh by its neck, it might be persuaded to let go. There was no time, but still Pedro knelt beside her, grasping her wrist to steady the trembling arm. Already, a lethal dose of poison coursed through the girl. They were too late. Palms open in front of him, Yurik faced the keepers and said, we will carry her. She won't slow us down. Yurik's head was almost as high as the keeper's chest. Neither keeper spoke, but one backhanded Yurik's upper arm, throwing him against the side of the doom. Okay, thank you very much, Hannah. And as somebody said in the genius room, very nice to hear Hannah squeal a bit. Yeah, good squealing. Um, I'm getting Frank Herbert vibes off that, actually. I don't know if it's just the, the, um, the word uh, Dune. Let's see what the genii are saying. Uh, wild blurb, says James. Nice. Decent blurb, says Kate. Caught my interest. And Pete says, uh, 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 sorry, Monsieur Dufresne says, Pete behind you. I think that was a reference to the dragon. I did da dodge that, though. Uh, good blurb, says Hannah. Uh, and Annie says, not a goat. <laughs> It would have been good if it was. Uh, and Kate goes on and says, currently watching The Sandman and reading The Expanse, so feeling well qualified for this week's subs. Um, and Johnny, good opening Im image. Um, James, uh, opening line, line, child dies, sad but intriguing. Monsieur Dupré says, needs a comic between chest content yes content content i was uh, i was concerned about that um stingers and he's such a horrible image very well written jesus this is intense says monsieur dupre very visual says hannah on the writer i could really see what was happening I, i'd like to uh, i would have liked a wee bit more pedra emotion yeah me too or a hint if pedra lacks emotion so let's ask shall we ask Roz, what her first reactions were, please. I agree. It was very well written, very atmospheric. It drops in little points about the world to let us know we're in a place that's not necessarily like ours. You know, the name of the little mask thing that was over the mother's face and the, the nice moment where the child is pulling it down. Um, uh, a thing like um, the, the, you've got the stingers, the keepers who um, are so brightly lit by the sun that you can't 
quite bear to look at them. All those little details, they, they don't overwhelm it. You don't get confused, but you know you're somewhere else. And that's very important for fantasy readers. They want to be transported. Oh, yeah. Something I did feel was that, and, and this may be what some somebody was touching on when they said there could be a bit more emotion from, um, she called Pedra. Anyway, yeah. um, I was thinking... She's a little bit passive. Um, she's just watching it. It's a great idea that you've got that opening line, she saw a child die, and it's all sort of vivid and cinematic. But if she could get more involved somehow, we would feel we'd seen a bit more of her. If she was trying to stop them doing something, because it mm. maybe for selfish reasons, it would hurt her. Mm. And she said, please don't do that to the, mm. to the child. You know, and yeah. it's just something like that that would yeah. dramatize a bit more um, and let her do a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. What do you think, Matt? It's a wonderful opening. It's, it's incredibly engaging. It gets you going right into it. But this is this is true with Pedro. I mean, it, it, I was thinking as as we were looking at this that there's a reason she's not more involved, and I find that kind of interesting. She's kind of cold-hearted in that. Um, but I'd like to actually see more of that, and I think I'm. There. I'll move myself into the screen. Um, Thank you. You pro, you. Oh, my God. No one's yeah. ever done that before. I'm working with pros now. I'm hugely embarrassed. They're going to show me up completely for what I am, which is rank amateur. Oh, no. It was a highly technical thing I like to call moving was, the screen. It was amazing. <laughs> what a move, man. It was, it was a strong beginning. I, 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 the Frank Herbert... Um, vibe was very strong the the brandon sanderson opening was oh yeah interesting i didn't think it it didn't quite work for me the 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 brand it was a very brandon sanderson ish thing i don't know if the author was going for that but each time anyone says brandon sanderson today i'm gonna ding and demand 41 million dollars please <laughs> can we cut out that bit i just said no <laughs> it's there forever now we don't do any post-production you should know that by now you professional you um yeah so listen i i i felt that he was a bit distant um i i also think and i don't know whether you guys agree with me or not but i think there's a difference in uh, between the genre reader, the reader who really knows they like this, and just the, the, the ordinary reader, the general reader, mostly, most people in publishing, unless they happen to run an imprint that, for genre, certainly most agents, are just kind of general readers. And if it doesn't immediately engage, then they're going to go, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't think that's true of the genre reader. Do you think I'm right or wrong? No, I... Well, genre readers will give it more patience. Um, mm. It depends how it's going to develop. But I was thinking of things like Game of Thrones, which are very good at just sucking you into the people oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, really. And if you can do both those things, you will get more readers, which can only be better. Absolutely right, yeah. Well, oh, and I, I just... think one of, one of the issues you have with the genre reader, if you're talking about young genre readers, young fantasy readers, I can see this having more appeal. If you're talking about people who have little kids, I think starting off with the... Um, the snuffing of a of what looked like what a seven year old something like that six year old yeah. that's very difficult for a lot of parents to deal with. Sure. Uh, I mean, I was listening to that and thinking, I'm not, I I'm not minding this, but I'm I think quite a few people might. So that's got to be handled um, extremely delicately. Now, yeah. we don't know what was to come in this, and and 
but that was that was that was my one primary concern mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm going. I don't know if you guys have voted. Let's just check, actually. God, I've kept you talking too much. You voted, Ross. That's fantastic. You're 100% on the oh, blur. You're, you're big on that oh, blur. Oh, the blur aren't you? was great. That was, was really good. There's so much packed into it. Yeah. You could see this is going to be a big story, big problems. Yeah. People change their minds and hearts. And, yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so someone's come into the shop says, Julie. <laughs> No, Johnny, I, oh, I got this in my podcast days, right? All podcasters have got a bell. They do that for sight sound effects. You can't actually get a podcast license unless you've got a bell on the desk. Uh, let's just see. Matt has... He's voted too. You're big on the blurb. I'm big on the blurb. Uh, let's see what the junior stream have, have um, voted. And let's see if we've got an overall number for Sindor. We have. My goodness gracious... I'm saying goodness gracious because that is a very good score. It puts you. You know what I haven't done? I haven't shown you the um, the uh, the leaderboard, which I think I should do now. And here we are with the third show of the month, and we had an incredibly high-scoring, uh, very high-quality submission show last week, and I think most of the. Uh, certainly top three, I think. No, top four, I think, actually, are from last week's show. Right at the top there. 76 is the score you've got to beat, actually. And goodness gracious, Symbol came within one of that. The Longest Spring by Pete got universal acclaim. Universal acclaim. Cool. I think we should see what's next. There we are. The Devil You Know. The Devil You Know is the title. Do you like that title? I like that title. I wonder if you do. It's fantasy. It's from Heather, Heather Graham. And this is Heather's blurb. Chelsea wants to believe her dream walks aren't real. But if they aren't, the group of very old and very pissed off gin she freed from their prison wouldn't be stalking her in the real world. Dead May guy intent on resurrection want to hijack her body. Warring factions of Jin see her as nothing but a tool. Desperate for a fighting chance, she allies herself with the voice in her head. A self-professed devil, but the only one who can help her remain the sole resident of her body. It's about Heather. The Devil You Know is my third completed manuscript, and writing it, I pulled from my relief and development experience in Turkey, Bulgaria, and Bangladesh. Hmm. I'm a teacher and professor with a BA in cultural studies and an MA in psychology. I was an agent intern at a reputable literary agency. Where did you find such a beast? <laughs> and, <laughs> and have published poetry and multiple articles. Wow. You're, so you're a semi-insider. Um, you get two extra points for that. I'm a mother to three brilliant and beautiful children who humble me every day, because that's what children do. And what uh, Mel does is give us a brilliant reading like this. The Devil You Know, written by Heather, read by Mel. Chelsea could never pinpoint the exact moment her dream shifted. The hazy edges would slowly come into focus, taking on a clarity even real life lacked. The jumbled chaos of nighttime thoughts would crystallize into true consciousness. Instantaneous, like a jolt of caffeine to a sleep-fogged mind, 
Then, finally, her heightened senses would realize her body was not her own. Who would she be this time, and why? Her eyes darted, looking for purchase in the darkness, but there was nothing. The world was a place of shadows. They shifted drunkenly, warping her perception, abstract and unreal. A Van Gogh painting turned sideways. She shivered, a disturbing thought, trapped in the tortured imagination of a madman. This was what the inside of a coffin must feel like. Her brain flashed through all the potential peril that could be lurking in the shadows. Slowly encroaching walls, a hummer-sized arachnid, an endless drop into nothingness. She didn't know what form it would take, but she had absolutely no doubt it was there, whatever it was. She cursed her love of the macabre and her overly analytical mind. She was primed for dark and twisty places, hidden corners and deviant, off-the-beaten-path dirt trails. An excellent diversion for a well-lit evening spent in her favorite armchair, but not exactly helpful at the moment. To distract herself from her steadily mounting terror, she focused on the one thing she might be able to understand. Her voice. Or rather, his voice. Bringing her hands close, she squinted, trying to see in the darkness. She couldn't see much, but they were clearly a man's hands, big and thick-fingered. The skin was dark, but not black. Hispanic, maybe. Asian? She supposed it didn't really matter. Probably. Hell, to be honest, she had no clue. Maybe it did matter, maybe it didn't. Maybe this was nothing more than her particular brand of psychosis. But that wasn't helping. Avoidance would get her nowhere. This, whatever the hell it was, wasn't going to loosen its grip until she saw did, understood, whatever it was she was here to do. But she didn't really know what that was. She never did. The first few times, she'd tried to wait it out. Dreams always shifted, eventually. Or maybe she'd just wake up. But it didn't, and she didn't. She'd sat for what felt like hours, but nothing changed. Not until she'd completed some ambiguous task she never really understood. Delusions of grandeur, that's what Patricia would call it. This idea that she was on some sort of quest, bestowed on her by some unknown entity for some purpose she'd yet to discern. Yep, definitely sounded delusional. The thing was, she never felt grand or important, more like confused and vulnerable and desperate to believe it was nothing more than too much spice in her Indian takeout. Whatever they were or weren't, delay was pointless, so onward and upward and shit. She really didn't want to do this. Her eyes skittered reluctantly around the room. Darkness leered back, malevolent, amused by her terror. Oh, for God's sake! She snorted, the sound incongruent in the hushed room. You're a grown-ass adult, Chelsea. Start acting like it. Just once, she'd like to land in a happy place. One filled with the unicorns and rainbows that used to fill her sister Livy's dreams. But nope, not her. If she dreamed of unicorns, they wouldn't be happy, noble creatures. They'd more likely be the four unicorns of the apocalypse, ushering death and destruction in their wake. They'd feast on human flesh and crush human skulls with their fierce unicorn teeth. Such was her life. But it didn't matter, because none of it was real. At least that's what Patricia kept saying. Not that she had all that much faith in her therapist. Why couldn't she be normal, like her sister? Beautiful brilliant and completely ordinary. Why did she get stuck as the sole possessor of all the deviant DNA? Enough already. 
Suck it up, Buttercup. Let's do this. She inched her foot forward, the sound abnormally loud in the silence. Shifting her shoulders uncomfortably, she dislodged a drop of sweat between her shoulder blades and shivered as it trickled down her back. Thank you very much, Mal. Another brilliant reading, um, as you always do, actually. So we've got uh, I Dream of Genius, isn't it, really? I Dream of Genius. Let's see what the uh, genies... I wonder if there's a connection there, etymologically speaking. Genie, gin, genies and geniuses. If anyone will know, what were the geniuses? Um, great voice here, says Annie. Uh, Mal, um, we always want to know what our narrator's... I think because they get inside the manuscript. Obviously, I enjoyed. I enjoyed Mel says being inside uh, Chelsea's head, and the narrative drew me in. Even if the internal monologue monologue did feel a bit long for an opening, I I I felt that too. Uh, Johnny says uh, in in a, in a positive way, quite an uneasy tone being set here, which I think is a good thing. And Annie uh, echoes that spooky. Not quite sure if she's dreaming or awake, but I wouldn't want to be her. And then, uh, Hannah was saying, is she asleep? Um, and then the blurb, interesting blurb, says Hannah. Great title, says Annie. It sounds really cool. So. Then we've got a comment from Galadriel. The protagonist is ruminating too much. I think so. Yeah. Considering she's frightened about what's happening. We need to be close, tight to the unfolding terror. Yeah. Without her psychoanalyzing stuff. I felt that too. And Monsieur Dupré. <laughs> I wish I could call you something else, but I can't. I think the inner thoughts slow down a promising start. Zuka says, the writing's lovely, but I would love to understand more of what's happening to her and where she is. So what were your first reactions there, Matt? Um, very, they were kind of echoed in the um, genius room. The, my initial thought was that back in the 80s, I had um, dinner one night with a young fantasy writer named Terry Brooks. Hmm. And the dinner evolved into this this long rant against another fantasy author of the day <laughs> who had just um, come out with a series of books called the Thomas Covenant series, I think. It's quite <sighs> popular. And Terry Brooks just went on and on about how much he despised the whining nature of the protagonist. And this reminded me of it. And huh. I'm not a fan of that particular approach. I do know, as I just stated, there is an audience for it. It's just probably not me. I kind of had a um, get on with it sense. Yeah. Um, there was, there, there are little things I, I did a little bit. She's, she's dreaming and it's incredibly self-aware for a dream. On the other hand, I love this concept. I was completely, I completely bought in on the, and the, the, the title and the blurb. I thought, okay, we are, this is a great ride we're about to go on. And I just felt that we were waiting in line for that ride, you know? Yeah, we're not getting yeah. on the, the tilt of world as quickly as we uh, want. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. What did you think, Ross? Yes, I, I agree with everything that Matt, that Matt says. And I found I was finding it a bit too abstract. It mm. was imaginative and it was, uh, it was very immersed in the feelings and describing them very well. But the points where I thought I would like a something a bit more solid now there is a line where um she says um she talks about the ambiguous task she didn't understand the meaning of that's the point to put something in that will really make us understand what it's like 
to be this person mm. and uh, the blurb was was full of uh, possible quite concrete actions that we could yeah. immediately grasp we knew what kind of ride you were going to go on um, and also she she's got some lovely common sense witty remarks like the four unicorns of the apocalypse it's great fun so mm. i think we need more solidity in it and less abstract musing that's quite hard for us to orientate ourselves with yes hey Kay wants to know uh, on youtube hello hey Kay. um how do you dislodge a bit of sweat i find that kind of strange I i've got an answer to that come along to body pump you'll dislodge a <laughs> lot of bits of sweat <laughs> yeah we're back with this <laughs> that's right i'll twerk it twerk it indeed that's the way to do it um blue all right all right blue okay i understand everything now title makes me think of kylie minogue says hannah the devil you know is that kylie minogue i didn't i oh okay I didn't it is is it, is it really <laughs> oh okay that's a shame mm -hmm. i've well, got it I, in my head now thank you have you so johnny remembers thomas covenant I feel the title is a little bit cliche. It says Monsieur Dupre, and in truth, it probably is. Uh, writing's lovely, but I'd love to understand more what's happening. Did you think the title was fantasy enough? Well, it's, you know what? I mean, my next move would be if this came in as just a, an, an audience submission, I'd go, I love that title, and then I'd go straight to Amazon, and I'd probably find 510,000 books with exactly the same mm. title, sadly. Uh, even that wouldn't necessarily dislodge me. What I'd be looking for would be, yeah, but have any books with that title been published in the last five years or so? And if the answer is yes to that, then, I'd have, then I would definitely cool on it. But, um, but, you know, just as, as a general title, I like it, but you, I think you put your finger on, on that there. The thing is that this is what I like to term a liminal moment here. We've got, you know, we've got the real world that we're kind of getting used to, and then we've got the the other world, the, the breakthrough world. That, you know, that's liminal, really. That's the, the interface between those two. That's usually really powerful stuff. But at the same time, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to work out where are we? What's, what, you know, who, what, why, where, when? Mm. And we don't really, I'm not invested at the moment from page one, I'm not invested in the protagonist. So do I, I so that kind of reduces the intensity of the effect that you're going for, Heather, for me. Um, did that for you, Matt? Yeah, I, 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 the, um, I think that this notion of liminality is kind of a, a hindrance to it, isn't it? Because liminality is the, the gateway between two worlds. Yes. And we were lingering just outside the gate. What we had in the blurb was something that was quite exciting. We should have just, I would have preferred jumping right in. Um, oh, and I just said there's a recent... Yeah, Netflix apparently so. There you go. So, yeah. and it can be anything. There, I was just there is a. There, I mean, I read a book recently called Hell Super, and this kind of fantasy area can work. I, I, I the idea is great. I would like to Heather to, to take that away from this. I think we would all agree mm. this is a really strong idea. It is. Yes. Um, just take another whack at the first at the opening. Get get us right into. I mean, don't necessarily tell us that. The horses, the, the four horses of the apocalypse might exist. Sh you know, maybe show us the four horses of the, or the four unicorns of the apocalypse. Yeah. That might be more fun. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, uh, Roz, ad advice, please, because I, I, she's, she's packing a lot in here. Maybe we don't want to pack so much in. Well, how would you, how would you suggest to Heather that she prioritizes? Uh, prioritizes? 
Well, as I said, she's got that moment where she talks about doing um, ambiguous tasks she doesn't yeah. understand the meaning of. I would start with that. Yeah. Because you could be doing something and thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's weird. Um, you take a step by step through the moments and how they feel and whether they're like what she's done before and whether that turned out well last time and so on. Um, she's she's right to try and start with confusion and emotion, uh, but it's a bit hard for us to follow. But she mm. could make it easier for us to follow by just try writing a few of those events and yeah. see which one strikes her as, as the most sort of show-stopping one to begin with. Brilliant advice, Ros, as always. I, I sometimes call you a muse. Do you mind me calling you that? I'm very amused. Writing. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's why I call you, because you're quite amusing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, always out front, always ahead of me. Here's our rise. This is from Glenn, Glenn Wheeler. Um, there's an interesting question from YouTube, which I, we, will, we will squeeze in in, in a moment. We'll just hold that, actually, because I, I do think it's interesting about recycling titles, OK? But right now we're focusing on Glenn, his time travel fantasy historical fiction, and it's called Midnight. Midnight at the Café Noir. And this is Glenn's blurb. Are memories important? A simple question, but one the girl cannot answer. For her mind is blank, as if erased. No memories, no name, nothing. On the evening she accepts a job as a waitress at the Café Noir, she rescues a cat from the waters of the Seine. She takes it home. Just for one night, she promises herself, this small act of kindness sets in motion a series of events that will take her from familiar Paris into a mysterious and magical realm. And this is all about Glenn, short and simple. I'm not saying you're short, you might be tall. I am a New Zealand-born who has... A New Zealand-born what? I am a New Zealand-born who has lived in various countries around the world before finally settling in the UK. This is my debut novel, and I hope you enjoy my 700 words. <laughs> that was quite hard writing, wasn't it, actually, uh, Glenn? But what is not going to be hard at all, in fact, it's going to be deliriously pleasurable, is this reading from Emily. Midnight at the Café Noir by Glenn Read by Emily Paris today If I am an angel, paint me with black wings. It was peaceful by the Seine tonight. Paris, normally so vibrant, had become sleepy in the opal mist that smothered the city. A shimmer of light highlighted a young woman, her ghost-like silhouette eerie in the darkness. She leaned against a lamppost and glanced at the slip of paper she held, reading the words. On recherche une souveuse pour le café noir. Someone wanted a waitress. As the mist swirled in ghostly eddies around her, a frail figure emerged through the gloom. An old woman hunched over a walking stick shuffled past. She dragged a dilapidated shopping cart. The crone did not acknowledge the girl. Her hooded eyes were fixed on the ground as she tapped a path towards the Seine and disappeared down stone steps. The shopping cart's wheels thudded as they bumped down the slabs, and the stooped figure stumbled closer to the water's edge. The girl frowned. This was no place for someone so old. Many dangers lurked in the shadows of Paris, though they'd never threatened her. Who would threaten her? Her appearance did not invite confrontation. Black coal-lined, vivid green eyes, and metal studs pierced blood-red lips. A shrill scream, high-pitched like a banshee's call, split the air. 
The girl covered her ears against the sound, then looked around. The old woman stood ankle-deep in the water, arms wide, head high. She rushed down the steps and called out, Are you all right? The water must be freezing. The crone turned her wrinkled face towards her and held her gaze. Why are you here? I have no need of your protection. Go! The hairs in the back of the girl's neck began to rise. Danger was close. Too close. The old crone waved her away. I said go! Uncertain, the girl walked towards the cobbled path that led to the café noir. Then she heard it. A loud splash. She turned and sprinted towards the scene. A putrid smell assaulted her nostrils when she reached the riverbank and a shadowy form, ice-cold, slipped through her and vanished into the night. Now a vision flashed before her eyes. Fire-licking tapestries, a winding stone staircase, the glint of a blade, blood. She raised her fingers and traced the scar that ran along her cheekbone. How did she get this? A movement caught her eye. The shopping cart had snagged between two branches that trailed in the water, its battered plastic glowing in the emerging moonlight. The cart. The words came on the wind. You must retrieve the cart. Now, before it is too late. Instinctively, the girl kicked off her steel-capped boots and waded into the river. She grabbed hold of the cart's rusted handle and tugged it towards her. It was heavier than expected. What on earth was in it? Rocks. A vexed mew answered her as a bedraggled creature emerged unscathed. It shivered, but even in this pathetic state, it was beautiful. The soaking wet, the pale grey stripes running through its fur were distinctive. The girl stared into a pair of emerald eyes that reflected her own as a hidden memory pricked at her consciousness. She blinked and focused again. Did she know this cat? No. Or did she? She sighed. Why can't I remember anything? She glanced around searching for the old woman. The riverbank was empty. Now what am I going to do? I can't leave you here alone. I'll take you home tonight and drop you off at the animal sanctuary tomorrow evening. Decision made, she tucked the cat beneath her leather coat and followed the path towards the Café Noir. By the time she reached the candlelit entrance, fine water droplets streaked her hair like tears. She stared at her reflection in the café's windows. Should she discard her goth attire and wear something different? No. These clothes were her protection, her shield. She reached into her coat pocket and withdrew a bottle of perfume and sprayed some on her wrists. A musky aroma filled the air. Angel. The girl gazed up at the moon as the perfume enveloped her like a cloak. Who am I? she demanded. Who am I? There we go. And uh, let's let's go straight to the genius room and see what they say, because that's the thing that really counts, actually, isn't it? Eh? Um, generally, good reactions here to the blurb. Um, and actually, uh, apropos of the previous submission, uh, Monsieur Dupré says, uh, maybe the devil you don't. That's interesting suggestion, though. I take that seriously. Um, I like the title and blurb, Hannah. I uh, love this title. Annie Galadriel love the title. Johnny, nice title blurb. Uh, blurb reads really well. Glad. Nice blurb, well crafted. James Mel, love the blurb. Hannah, like the voice in this. James, atmosphere well set. Monsieur Dupree says, does she dump the cat? She's got to save the cat. Doesn't save the cat, she's not going to get the movie deal, right? Um, nice sense of urgency. Very nice detail, says Hannah. Eva. Hello, Eva. Love the title. D 
damn quite hooky says azuku i hope the cat likes perfume says hannah hmm let's see what ross thought great title especially for time travel and i've read a few novels recently that featured cafes with weird time slip um, properties to the yeah yeah, there's a japanese translation a translation from japanese um and so i was expecting that kind of thing um i'm sure there's plenty of mileage in the idea and there's lots there are lots of rich ideas in this i i was quite confused um i think the point of view is wavering quite a bit um Mm. i'm never convinced when a character seems stops to describe the the coal they're wearing around their eyes and and things like that and i think there's a way that she's very um conscious of her appearance and um, it's yes. not that you couldn't do it, but the way this is done, it, it's as if suddenly we're seeing her as a camera and we're not inside her head. Yes. Um, there are other points where she seemed to have a shadow passing into herself. And this is a lovely description, nothing wrong with that at all. But I was thinking, well, how does she know that? Unless she sort of sees it sort of creep up to her feet and slide across or something like that. Um, it's not quite right with the point of view. Um, when she says why would she know this cat i I was thinking that's just a bit too weird it's a bit on the Um, nose isn't it as well actually that cat is going to play an important part in this story i'll be bound about loads of rich ideas um and i'm sure there's 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 a lot of interesting stuff once we get into it uh but I, I was quite confused and I wanted a bit more about the cafe actually before the cat yeah actually yeah yeah I can I can see you thinking there Matt um yeah those are great comments I I one thing that stuck out to me as we were reading this I I, I like the title by the way a lot uh the blurb worked for me I I thought the um I thought the 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 end the submission dropped off at the end. It kind of lost me at the end. I was I was in it up till then. But there, one thing that one thought that was popping in my head was, okay, she thinks she might have just seen an old woman die in the Seine, or has just missed seeing an old woman die in the Seine, mm. and she's worried about taking the cat to an animal shelter the next morning. Yes. I, I'm not sure what that why that would be priorities, the order right. of priorities. <laughs> she possibly yeah, because she I doesn't mean, want to go insane i'll, I'll yeah. shut up and move on quickly let's have a look at the genius room uh i'll be bound pete channing is in a mr christian <laughs> was i indeed uh hannah says it before the coffee gets cold does that ring a bell Roz? That is the book, yes. Good time, and there's also actually. The Telephone at the Edge of the World, which is another, I think it's a, a translation Love from it. Japanese, and it, there's this title. magic telephone people can go to and talk to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love that title, yeah. Um, sorry, Matt, we kind of, we very rudely interrupted you, actually. Did you have any other great thoughts to impart? Um, I'm going through it. Um, <sighs> No, but that was uh, that was my thought. I, I liked it. I thought it was nice and atmospheric. Um, yeah, it was atmospheric. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Let's face it. Let's face it. I mean, people yeah, just I think you know, I, like I reading books about Paris, actually, about about cool stories like Midnight in Paris and stuff like that. I mean, that's I yeah, that's just yeah. commercial, isn't it? Actually, something I can't get out of my head on this is, is you know, the the old woman is standing um, 
inside she's gone over the the the, the rock right she's gone over the rock barrier and she's now standing in the Seine in, in hmm. downtown paris the water's quite deep there in most i of thought the, that yeah. yeah and so i'm yeah. thinking okay for when i see the when i see the woman standing there i'm thinking oh this is this is spooky magic yeah, yeah. Um, but then it's the not she's just got very just long legs yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well the cart apparently has floating wheels <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I but I, I i like the atmospheric notion i think there's something there's a lot to work that will work here um i just it just dropped off a little for me at the end i kind of got confused at the end so i i guess with ross we could go to the if we knew more about the cafe maybe i don't know i i, I don't know what yeah to yeah I, I i you just made me think I, the the final um the ending i didn't like at all actually the the final words like who am i who no there's, there's all sorts of other things going on why you know why who am i then and also as uh, somebody pointed out on youtube just now she knows enough to remember you know what she's wearing and in fact you've said that too ross so there's slight inconsistency there but int definitely intriguing i think let's um let's see if you've both given some numbers checking up on you my goodness ross 100 percent of the title 100 percent of the blurb yeah then it drops off a bit fair enough and let's just see what matt's given um matt is going strong on the title and i like the title a lot too yeah i i suspect that's going to be the general view let's look at the numbers give me four 74 this is going to be a good uh, good show let's look at these scorecards so far 75 is our winner just little k 63 not bad at all actually heather 74 glenn two more submissions let's see what they are coup de grasse steampunk i love steampunk I've, i just got this i just wish steampunk it I, I should have been bigger it could be bigger it ought to be bigger it ought to be got that very frustrated feeling about steampunk it just should and could and will be but it's it's never quite come out from the uh the bigger genres hiding under this is from paul paul sent um santino and there's a uh, there's a qr code link there too so it might be fun if you've got your phone handy it might be fun to scan that qr code and see where paul wants to send you to and it's uh I told you the title, Coup de Grasse, and this is Paul's blurb. Nature withers and dies beneath the growing bane of machines and industry. Ooh, got Lord of the Rings feelings already. Citizens have turned to science and sprawling cities of steam, ruled by the Imperium. Caimo de Morte has never known another life. He's an optometrist by trade, but too poor to open an optical boutique. A chance encounter with insurgents thrusts him into a battle for the very future of mankind. Kaimo uncovers hidden truths, becoming the catalyst for either saving the world or watching it end. And Paul is a finalist for the Killer Nashville Claymore Award. Born and raised in New York City. In 2009, I earned a BA, he says, in philosophy and creative writing at Herbert H. Lehman College. After graduating, I worked with Gabriel Packard, Associate Director of the Creative Writing MFA program at Hunter College, to further my writing skills. I'm currently working on my 10th novel and aim to finish it within two years. I just hurry up. <laughs> and while, while we're waiting for you to finish that, I think we should hear from no, nobody other than Barbara. Coup de Grasse by Paul Centeno, read by Barbara. Chapter 1. Transfusion Machine. 
One, the optometrist. A burning sensation crackled in Camo the Mortis' chest. Ill at ease from an eerie vibration, he raised his grimy face and, through the refracting lenses of his spyglass, fixed on a mysterious happening. An unnatural phenomenon stirred above, swathed in steam and drifting in the haze over his ramshackle town. Anxiety roiled. What would manifest itself next? An inkling of what was to come added restlessness to his apprehension. As a miner, Camo lived and worked in the dusty backwater town of Icterus, nestled in the southernmost mountains of Quarterdale. Renowned for its abundance of mineral deposits, the empire, embroiled in a civil war, demanded a surplus of supplies be shipped out every week to arm its steamships and automatons against insurgents. A poor but otherwise accomplished young man in optics and crafting lenses, Camo remained stranded in Icterus, dreaming of a medical residency in a grand city that would lead him to becoming an optical surgeon for veterans. The increasing vibrations silenced his daydreaming. He took a deep breath, drowning it out. An opaque fog enveloped the environs. Dense clouds mingled in the skies, torrential rain threatening Icterus. The majestic heavens shifted, as if a piece of the polluted sky had detached and moved. No doubt an optical illusion, thought Camo, while he adjusted the focus knob of his monocular telescope. Shrouded in smog, the spectacle lingered above the world of Sycard, but the strange occurrence was not a natural element. Rather, hidden within the murk was a mechanical invention that certain denizens would consider divine. Most onlookers, however, did not have access to a telescope to see the details. Limited to the naked eye, all but came attended to their business, oblivious. His hazel eyes wavered from the hovering marvel when the wheels of a motorised carriage whizzed into a puddle nearby. Muddy water splashed over him, breaking his concentration. He stepped back with a frustrated sigh. Many of the miners in the vicinity laughed. One pointed at him. Camo ignored their pettiness, turning to his pickaxe. Before he clutched it to continue working, a man dressed in a three-piece suit and a bowler hat emerged from a makeshift tent. Demorte, he yelled in a raspy voice, evincing irritation. We don't offer coffee breaks here. Get back to work! My apologies, Lord Beaumont, Camo said. Grabbing his tool, he sprinted down a grid path. Courtesy of the twin suns, the canyon's mellow glow radiated. Precious gemstones waiting to be unearthed sparkled through the excavation site. All the miners, however, focused on deposits of Kogol, a rare, amorphous, crystalline granite capable of immense alchemical powers. Kogol had become civilization's greatest resource for the industrial era. Within the last decade, it had fueled the latest inventions such as automobiles and automatons. Kogal even had the potential to be an electrochemical power source. The only reason it hadn't replaced coal was because of its scarcity. Entering an illuminated cavern with artificial lights strung along the serrated ceiling, the grimy miner returned to his mandated position. His colleagues beside him hacked the sharp walls in between grunts and groans chiseling into the mountain in search of Kogal or any valuable metal, rocks and jewels. I said to find out what's causing these bloody tremors not travelling halfway across the world, said one of the older miners, perspiration glistening on his wrinkled forehead. Where in tarnation did you go off to? Camo blinked, awkwardness plastered on his face. 
There's no other way to put it, but, truth be told, I saw Welkin. Minus within earshot, scoffed at his pronouncement. The old man, however, nearly lost his footing. You saw the Emperor's abode with your own eyes? I didn't literally see it, he replied, lifting his pickaxe and striking the jagged wall. It was engulfed in smog and steam and camouflaged in the clouds, but it was there, Liam. I know it. Strange, though. No one bothered to look, as if they couldn't see it. Thank you very much, Barbara. Superior reading from a superior person. I think we can all agree on that. Jenny um, Strim's got lots of comments on that. Uh, Azuka says, um, is it strange to feel like either saving the world or watching it end aren't stakes I can cling to? Little generic, I know that feeling. Um, and Galadriel just says, like the opening paragraph, but the second is backstory heavy. And I kind of kind sense to be what people are saying. Um, Galadriel said, I found it jarring. And Barbara, of course, our narrator, says, this was hard to read. I suggest author reads it out loud. Obvious advice, which so many authors don't do. Um, seems a bit overwritten, says Annie. I would agree with that. In fact, I, I think it's moving towards the literary, actually. Maybe we can discuss that in a moment. But maybe that's typical of steampunk. Ah, oh, we'll find out. And uh, Info Dumpy says, Dupre. <laughs> Telescopes are nearly always monocular. That's, that's the definition of a telescope, really, isn't it, actually? Uh, yeah, so, Roz take it apart yes i thought that about the telescope they are not binoculars are they no. um <laughs> i was confused really um i wanted to know why this thing he could see mattered so much hmm. because when you're being thrown a lot of information you want to know why should i pay attention what effect is it having but i think here what we were doing was getting a lot of word world building yes instead of um people with problems and and difficulties and i was quite i, I was confused about why a a miner would have a telescope and where does he keep it down his trousers i mean it's just yeah. it's it, there's too many wrong questions you don't want me to think about this you want me to think about the really intriguing things about your story and your world and your characters um and and so so i was quite confused um a big thing was made of the mineral that they were mining but hmm. that's not that interesting depends, if you, depends how much you like minerals i mean who knows i, I mean the well, thing is yeah, so. the thing what i want to know from um from both of you actually is are you now or have you ever been steampunk readers not really and i was going to say when when you said you wondered why it hadn't taken off more. Mm. I think steampunk is more of a visual medium. I think oh, it's yeah. brilliant for TV and film and graphic it novels and art. And cosplay, actually. But, you see a lot of steampunkers yes. walking oh, around fantastic. this part of town. Yeah. 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 Uh, it comes and goes, steampunk doesn't always it? Reminds, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Steampunk always reminds me of Metropolis. And I, I, I have this image of the, the city from Metropolis whenever I'm, I'm thinking about steampunk. And so I, I, it kind of puts me that. I thought that some of the problems with the, the work here were that it was playing very much, it was going down the, um, uh, the rules of steampunk, the kind of the, the laws of steampunk that you must pay homage to. And so we were getting this throughout. And, and that's possibly completely on me. Um, because I'm not a steampunk reader. I, yeah. I have read 
one piece before of steampunk like 10 years ago and i i didn't really find it to be my thing so that might be on me i i but yeah sorry i'll let someone else talk Oh, for me. Okay, so... Well, there is nobody else to talk, really. I don't be comparing to you, Matt. I mean, there are a few other people knocking around, but it's, it's mostly your show. <laughs> yeah, I thought the, the beginning was um, info dumpy, and I'm a fan of a really interesting info dump. This was just kind of like, here's yeah. a bit of information, here's a bit of information, here's a bit of information, here's a bit of information. If you're going to give me an info dump like you do in A Perfect Storm, where I'm now learning why it is that water retains energy and how much on every cubic meter or every square meter of, yeah. of, of ocean surface in 110 degree weather, you know, you can light up the city of New York with the electricity or the, the power produced there. Then, yeah, I'm all in. Yeah. But this oh, yeah, was, that's yeah, this was just kind of, here's a bit of information about that will come into play later in the story. And here's another bit mm. that will probably be really mm. important. It's kind of like the cat. Um, yeah, this might be a really important hmm. um, plot device, so please pay attention. And yeah. I didn't really see any way to, to follow it. As someone yeah. noted, Annie noted in the, in the Genius Room, um, the dialogue was good, and I thought it was, yeah. but it was also very spare. Yeah, yeah, it was spare, and that's possibly why it was good. Where's the coup de grace, says uh, Monsieur Dupré? Maybe you start with the, he also says, uh, maybe start with the complaint of tremors, then show us the result. Who are we with? The grime in mind or the telescope guy, says Hannah. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm the only one who was picking up sort of, this is moving towards steampunk slash literary. I'm getting a literary vibe out of this, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, are either of you getting that literary vibe or is it, is it no, just... No, literary no. doesn't mean it's thick with description. <laughs> Let me re revise what, what I was saying. I'm getting the sparring literary vibe out of this. And I don't think that's a good direction to take it. I don't know if you're, you're, that's your intention, Paul. But my feeling is that we've just got to get heavily interested and committed in our protagonist. And if I'm invested in, in the protagonist, then I want to know about the world. And I want to know what's going on there. But everything yeah. that and I, can I, I make say, a quick point? Uh, yeah, sorry. go on. Sorry, go on. There, there's also one line in there um, that I thought found it made me giggle, and it's not what he wanted to go on. But the wheels whizzed into a puddle on the street, and I just thought, ha 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 ha, um, <laughs> because the the fourth grader in me was giggling at that, or the third grader in me was giggling at that. Um, a bit unfortunate <laughs> for that. I, I completely Again. missed that, but I, I, my inner inner child now totally responds to that. Um, so, I I I don't know. I mean, my feeling is that we just we've just got to get. We I don't know who Kaimo is at this stage, and I've I've just there's got to be something that makes me, that makes me have a connection, and usually you not always, but usually it's that moment that makes you go, I know how that feels, and it's just yes. something that they they experience, and it just a little. It's subconscious, really. It just goes off in your head, and you go, "Oh, I know that feeling." And you've, you know, you've crossed over the threshold. You're in, into it then, and then you're seeing it from with their eyes, and the whole the magic starts. But that's not quite happening for me at the moment, Paul. Yeah, um, you can always find places elsewhere to put the information. Yeah. But the stories, people don't come to a story for information; they come for experiences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
very true. Very and the, there was like the, the, the little moments where he describes what the miners, you know, the miners were looking for this this mineral that they is so important. They were also looking for X, Y, Z, and A, B, C. And I, I don't really know why I needed to know that at that point. He takes us yeah. out of the story and makes us so. Just yeah. get to the act, get to an action, you know, get to the action, get to the motivations, and we're more in. Fair enough. Good. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you, Roz. Let's look at the numbers. You got a 51 there, Paul, 51. And we, uh, I, like, I do quite like the title, actually. Maybe I should have given you a few more marks on the title. I do quite like that. But we now have our final submission of the day, and it's incredibly tightly bunched to the top. Let's see if anyone is going to take the crown. Here we go. Submission number five. The I I had to look at this several times <laughs> before I eventually decided how to pronounce it. Okay, and there may be disagreements amongst the distinguished panel and the genius room. Indeed, I'm going to say the Montjeunfort. Right, the Montjeunfort. That might be completely wrong. I don't know. I don't think we've got a pronunciation guide on that, which does uh, make me say, if you are going to send us a name or anything like that, that could be uh, mispronounced. I will definitely mispronounce it. So please send a pronunciation guide. I'm going to say the Montjeunfort, a dark mystery, a dark fantasy mystery for middle grade readers. Ooh, that's good. By my level. Here's from James. This is James's blurb. Scamp's grandpa has never forgotten his friends from the orphanage. After all, he was the one who led them into the witch's wood, only hours before they vanished. Sixty years on, the mysterious Monsieur Mongenfant takes charge of the institution, and after a spate of suspicious adoptions, Scamp wonders if her friends are vanishing too. Then the Frenchman is seen entering the witch's wood, and when his face shows up in an antique photograph, Scamp knows her friends are in danger. Uh, this is all about you, James. As a child, I grew up either reading or exploring the coastal woods around the village I grew up in. Sounds wonderful already, actually. Those woods and their derelict cottages, yeah, provided inspiration for my novel. Hmm. More recently, I was an English teacher. I quit teaching to support my wife's career when it brought our family to Ireland. However, my motivation was not entirely altruistic. I don't tell her. Um, I saw the opportunity to develop my writing and complete the children's novel I'd started. Several years, numerous drafts, and a huge lesson in homemaking later, the Montjeunfort is the result. I've loved the process and never regretted my decision to focus on writing, despite our children regularly regretting my inability to focus on cooking. <laughs> I can smell the burning even from here, and I can smell a good reading coming up here from Peggy. The Montjeunfant by James, read by Peggy. Unexplained disappearances. I was running as fast as my legs would go, up Dark Lane, the steep country road that climbs from the back of the village towards the church and my grandfather's cottage. At the bend in the lane I paused, catching my breath. To my right a narrow track snaked off through the fields, halting at the orphanage gates. Montjeunfant Orphanage. I shuddered and continued up the lane. 
Most evenings after my tea, I take a plate of supper to the cottage where my grandfather was born and still lives. His diet consists almost entirely of chocolate, toast, and fish and chips, washed down with a few pints of Guinness. In the evenings, he has cocoa mixed with a nip of whiskey, though sometimes he forgets the cocoa. My mother knows this and sends me up with plates of meals for him. Sometimes he eats them, but usually we put them out for the animals that visit his garden. A person can survive for years on fish and chips, he would say, wiping the beery froth from his moustache. And this, he waved the mug of ebony stout wildly in the air. This is a meal by itself. Doctors gave it to pregnant women during the war to keep them fit and healthy. Wonderful stuff. The elixir of eternal life. He waggled a finger at me. A varied diet and regular baths. That's what kill a person. I love being there, especially when I get to stay. In the holidays, it can be for weeks. By day, we sleep late and live on fish and chips and cocoa. I'd sipped his Guinness once and almost choked, but Grandpa had said all medicine tasted odd. By night, we are as nocturnal as the animals in his garden, and I listen to his stories until dawn. But this evening, I had a story for him about the day's unsettling events. The war memorial appeared on the brow of the hill. I cut through the churchyard amongst the weathered headstones and inscriptions. God bless Bob, read one. I had read it countless times, the words carved inside a heart. I could see from the dates that Bob had been very young, but the inscription always made me smile. I never took this path in the winter. There were too many shadows, but on a summer's evening it was peaceful and light and held the the best view of the village. I reached the cottage gate and walked round to the back door. It was split in the middle, like a stable door. My grandfather liked to leave the top half open. Once, as we had sat in the kitchen, a fox had leapt over and landed on the flagstones at his feet. I'd had the shock of my life, but he'd picked it up and put it out again, talking softly as he did so. The top half was open tonight, and I could already smell the stove burning as it did all year round. There was no other way to cook or heat water, so it remained lit winter and summer long. As evening drew on and the night air chilled, there was no comfier place to sit than in that snug little nook by the fire. A tall figure sat there now, his back to the door. Hair white as January snow folded over his ears, brushing the neck of his cardigan. Grandpa? The knotted back straightened as I kissed the top of his head. Hello, scamp. He turned his long nose towards me. Your cocoa's warming. He nodded towards a mug on the stove. It was an excellent place to keep a drink from going cold. Toast? I'm having some with butter. No, thanks. I sat down and sipped the warm drink. I'd never tasted the famous hot chocolate Monsieur Montjoffon served at the or orphanage, but I bet it didn't taste as good as my grandfather's. He held a brass toasting fork up to the flames and turned it slowly. The iron stove browned the bread, just like it had done night after night for a century or more. In the shadowy firelight, its knots and cracks twisted 
like haunted faces. Thank you very much, Peggy. Fantastic reading. And we uh, start, I think, by talking about the thing that the genius dream are talking about, which is um, the title. So I wasn't quite sure how to pronounce it. Is that a good thing? I, I can, I can uh, see both sides. I science. don't think it is. No? Because also you, you can't remember it if you can't pronounce it. It doesn't stay in your head. And then you can't Google it. Yeah. So you probably can't find yeah. it. And although it's a fun idea about eating children, <laughs> it, right. um, I think it's going to be counterproductive. Right. Okay. Do you agree with that, Matt? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was... I mean, my, my French is just bad enough to think, oh, this is the eater of children. So, you know, ooh, that's that's fun. But I, 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 this is aimed at middle grade, right? Yes. There's no middle grade who's going to, I mean, a French middle grader might catch the joke, but it's going to be very difficult to, um, to, to, for most middle graders to get that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. But I thought part of me wants to rebel and say, yeah, we do want people to remember the title. But, you know, they've got to be books. And I, I can't think of one. They've got to be a genius room can think of these. They've got to be books out there with impossible uh, titles that actually do work. And they, they do stick in the mind. And part of me wants to say, yeah, let, let's let's find a title like that. Is is Mongeon for like that? But I'm not even sure it's the right. I wasn't sure it's the right pronunciation. So and it has hands says you don't want a middle grade title to be difficult to pronounce and um mr dupre says like manger children <laughs> yeah i love the title says annie but it's hard to pronounce maybe some people won't pick it up mm. so general um, general reaction to this um Roz. well it's atmospheric it's got a lovely tone it's got um some very nice bits of description the hair as white as january snow but mm. i think there's too much emphasis on the grandfather and it's it's also um sticking with quite uh, with, with quite dull details this age group because what's more interesting is the idea of yeah. the orphanage and spooky things and i perked up yes. when i saw the headstones and yes. i thought i want mystery here yes. i don't want coziness no that's, that's i think you've put your you know your um whatever you it is you've put on it you've definitely put that on it i think the um the genre is not cozy. I mean, I was I was getting Lemony Snicket vibes, but then I, I just went and looked at the beginning of the first Lemony Snicket book, and it grabs you by the throat. There's no question about that. In a very clever way. I don't know if anyone remembers it. I, I had a vague memory that it was a good start. And it basically goes on and on for a whole paragraph, quite a long paragraph, about how this is a really dreadful story, and you don't want to read it. And uh, that's just so... It's so engaging, actually. It just works so well. Is, is it subtle? Not really, but I'm just... I share everyone's concern, actually, that maybe this is pitched a little bit too old. Um, any further thoughts on this, Matt? Yeah, I mean, my, my primary concern about this is that it, I think it is pitched a little bit too old. I think Roz was dead on. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, it was I, the first couple of paragraphs, I thought, oh, this is very nicely creepy. I thought the writing was charming. Yes. I was, I was, I liked the phrasing. I liked the, this cozy feeling, but that doesn't really sell middle grade fiction, does it? I mean, and, and just kind yeah. of dropping in these little details about the toasting fork. Um, yeah, yeah. Does middle grade, does a, is a middle grader going to have the slightest idea what you're talking about? I mean, toast, period, but <laughs> a toasting fork, you're go, you're asking a lot of them to, to hang yeah. on for this. And I think in, we wanted to get something 
much scarier going very quickly or much more active going very quickly and then later on we can drop these little details in i mean a kid will love to learn about a toasting fork in chapter 15 or something like that you know um but right here it just seemed a little bit slow off the mark for yeah. kids I, I thought it was it was on its own it's it's char i did find it very it is, charming, it is charming yes and i think it's, it's cozy yeah. in a nice way i could i could smell that out char- chocolate i was quite enjoying that in fact it made me want to, i did go to the cupboard but there's nothing left uh but it, yeah so it's, it, it produced an action in me um i need more attack here um james i need more attack i need to get you know to be grabbed by the throat here i do think it's very promising i think there's some good stuff here but you know you you are and, competing and yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, very frequently when we, we look at um, uh, submissions here, we look at a wonderful blurb and a really cool title, and we say, well, the, mm-hmm. the opening just lets you down a little bit. This is the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I thought the, the blurb and the title kind of let him down. Very, very, co- very charming writing. Hmm. And that was, that was a problem. So it, I would suggest that he take some time with the blurb and yes. the title but also i i think read a little bit more um middle grade and just see how they kick off these sorts of things totally i think that's I very know. good advice i think that's really excellent advice start with lemon snicket i'm getting a lemon snicket vibe from this i don't know i'm the only one who is let's look at the numbers you got a 54 nothing to be ashamed of james i hope you found that useful and interesting and now we have the uh, the coup de grace i suppose what else can i call it yeah wow well look at that high scoring show so tightly bunched right at the top there isn't it look 75 so close so close to the high of last week which is 76 means we've got a show winner there congratulations single k 75 how does it feel to be within a i don't know sneezing distance of pete sharrod last week with the longest spring who continues to be our monthly winner until maybe next week i don't know we'll find out i want to say thank you so much to our wonderful guest look a last loving caressing visually caressing glance at both of you beautiful people thank you for coming to us ugly people tonight and sharing your beauty with us we do appreciate it and uh, have you had a good time guys yeah great. great fun yeah fantastic yeah. all right what i suggest and i'm going to say thank you so much to to everyone behind the scenes you know who you are but i'm going to say kate and rachel and emily and all our narrators and everyone else involved too thank you very much let's do it again next week shall we shall we yeah hit it
pegou as 